This is KMTT, Kimitzion Titzay Torah, in uh, the summer's man, starting uh, now after Pesach. We'll be having a series of shirim by Harav Moshe Tarragon on Pekei Avot, to complement, hopefully, your own learning of Pekei Avot each week, a different parak, one Mishnah, one idea, from each parak keeping up with the general learning. Harav Moshe Tarragon. The uh, 11th Mishnah of the second parak of Perki Avot cites some interesting statements in the name of Rabbi Yeshua. Rabbi Yeshua Omer, Ayin hara, hara, sabrios. These three traits, and Ayin hara, will have to be interpreted, hara obviously is, is falling prey or being influenced by uh, lust, by desire, and Sinos sabrios is Detesting, contempting either individuals at large or particular people. Very interesting phrase. Motzi in this adam in haolam. They um, run a person out of this world. They take him out of this world. Now this mission is authored by Yeshua ben Chananya, which is his full name. His father's name was Chananya. Here's one of the Tamidim of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Um, the five Tamidim of Yochanan ben Zakkai had been mentioned earlier in the second parak, the ninth Mishnah. Interesting because each and every one of the Talmidim had been asked by Yochanan ben Zakkai to select the most central trait, the trait which is pivotal to religion, and by definition, by contrast, the one which is most dangerous to religion, and each of them selected a different trait, and in fact, one of them had selected Ayin Ra, whatever Ayin Ra means, Rabbi Eliezer had said that Ayin Tova is the central trait of religion, and Ayin Ra is the most dangerous, and Rabbi Yeshua, a co-Talmud of Rabbi Eliezer, Shurim Hanani, did not talk about Ayin Tova and Ayin Ra, he talked about Chaver Tov, friendship and relationships. Chaver Tov is the central trait of Avodah Hashem, and Chaver Ra is the greatest danger to religious success. So, interestingly enough, though he didn't talk about Ayin Hara, Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananya did mention in a separate mission, on a separate occasion, as it were, the dangers of Ayin Hara, along with Yetzin Hara, as well as Sinas Abrios. Uh, Yeshua ben Hananya was a Levi. He actually lived during the period of the Beis HaMikdash The Gemara in Erechen mentions that he was one of the Mishorim, and as we know, the Levim played two different roles in the, in the Beis HaMikdash. Some of them were participants in the orchestral song, which accompanied much of the Avodah and the Korbanas. Others were gatekeepers, some in the literal sense, opening and closing gates, but some just in a, an honor guard to stand by as the uh, long side of the gate, not necessarily to open and close them as a doorman would in the modern parlance, but to um, just to stand there as an honor guard to lend greater circumstance and elegance to the ambience of the Mishkan. There's um, a very dedicated Sefer, uh, very, excuse me, very dedicated Talmud to the author of Menzaka in very famous statement. He claimed that if all the seas were ink and all the trees were um, pens and the entire earth, including the heavens, were um, parchment and all the people in the world were self-written, very, very poetic description, they couldn't possibly, possibly write. These are endless resources. All these resources couldn't possibly write the entire Torah that I learned, he said, from my Rebbe, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, he's dedicated to his Rebbe, and he claims it's based on a Medrash in Shir Hashirim, Lo chasarti mihem, and all the Torah that I studied with Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, I only lost, I only forgot, Torah, 
the equivalent of a person sticking a body part into a C, or a small little item into a C. That's equivalent. I guess the C would be the main body of Torah that he had retained, and a small little um, rod or something that would be dropped into a C would reflect how much Torah he forgot, basically. He didn't forget. Um, some other fascinating notes about Elishua ben Hananya. Um, the Yushalmi claims, the Yushalmi and Yavamos, that his mother actually used to bring him to the base of Edrish when he was a baby. And one of the other in Rabbi Dosa, Sarvi Yoshua, I guess, um, possibly one Rabbi Yoshua actually become, become a, a Gadol, a Kamachacham. So Rabbi Dosa would quote the Pasuk in Yeshaya, Esmi Yored Dea, Pasuk which ends with the phrase, Mulei Mechala, people that have been exposed to Torah, the way Rabbi Dosa interpreted it, from the moment they were weaning or the moment that they were nursing from their parents. So evidently, uh, Torah is something which is absorbed, primarily, of course, cognitively, but there are layers and levels of the human soul that the Yoshua's mother wanted ex- him to be exposed to or through those layers to Torah, and evidently had an impact. Um, that same Gemara claims that Rabbi Yochanan um, ben Zakkai would praise the mother Fortunate is the mother that gave birth to such a child, and I guess in this case, not just the physical birth, but the, the, the parenting strategy of exposing a child to Torah at very early ages, even if that child was not yet capable of appreciating or absorbing the actual Torah knowledge. And this is a very important and educationally productive, intriguing um, aspect of the way we educate people towards Torah. We tend to be very rational in general, and especially in the Torah of training that we expose our children and our students to. And sometimes we overlook the experiential element in Torah. And even more often we overlook not just the experience, but sometimes we're willing to expose students of Torah to experiences in Torah which are uncognitive, but only when they're able of absorbing or processing those experiences, be they cognitive or be they experiential. Um, but somehow the ability to create a current framework at an early age before a person reaches even self-awareness or, or consciousness in, in the classic sense is to create that framework. Uh, people know in whose, in whose, uh, in whose presence they, they walk and who they were exposed to. It's something which we often take lightly and Yeshua's mother did not. Um, it's a little bit of a imagery which is evocative of Shmuel and the Young age, it was Shmuel was dedicated again for historically some three-year-olds who were just uh, prophetic and, and um, superhuman and were capable. I said the Vilnagon knew many parts of Shas, if not all of Shas in history. So the Vilnagon wasn't just some sort of subconscious, um, incohate exposure to people who just are born in supernatural fashion. Perhaps Shmuel was as well. But uh, sometimes we may take lessons, not just with babies, but in general, from Rabbi Shorben Hananya's strategy and his mother's strategy of exposing him to Torah. One final note about Rabbi Shorben Hananya, or known as Rabbi Yoshua, evidently he was not very attractive looking. And it's a whole story that um, the Gemarantinus relates about um, a, uh, the daughter of a, of a Caesar, of a Roman Caesar, who was so appalled by his looks, and um, she, she questioned how something so gallant as Torah could be contained in something so ugly and unappealing, she said, as would be sure, to be sure, of course, answered her, 
that it's, um, it's not the container, and it's uh, sometimes, in fact, you place beautiful things in a container that isn't that physically attractive. I uh, gave an example of wine, which sometimes is stored in ugly wooden barrels, and that was another aspect of note regarding the Shor ben Hananya. That Gemara is quoted in the Gemara in Zion, in Tanis, Zion Amgalaf. So that's a place to look if you want to know a little bit of information on the Yeshua and Hananya, or known as the Yeshua, the Talmud of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai. Anyway, so he speaks about three traits which are dangerous to human welfare. And the simple reading of Motsi and Esa'adam Nihalam, the simple reading is not that God punishes you for them, but almost as if God doesn't have to punish you. That the nature of these traits is so corrosive, so addictive, so devastating, so consuming, so poisonous, so toxic, for so many different reasons that they can ruin or wreck human welfare and human prosperity. And it isn't a moral penalty as much as just a causality. Another well-known mission in Perkyevos, Hakina, probably more well-known, and probably more self-evident. Hakina, v'hatava, v'hakavor, motzi enes adam minaolam. Three traits that more classically are seen as addictive and poisonous. Jealousy, lust, and interest in honor and in uh, public approval. These things are, again, both very addictive, as well as very dangerous. And therefore, they can sap human resources, they can destabilize the human experience, and as I mentioned before, Hashem doesn't even have to punish you. So that's really true about traits in general. That's why all midos, with rare exceptions, are considered lav she'in bomaisa. They're not even a lot, or less than a lav she'in. There's not really iser in the Torah for jealousy. There's iser in the Torah for acting on jealousy. Namely, person who it's over a latachmot. So latachmot has to, according to the Gemara, latachmot has to be acted upon, or at least attempted to attempt the action. Actually, it's in the Chilta, which the Rambam quotes. So, there really are no Yisurim for jealousy. There's no Yisurim for running after Kavod, although it may converge or dovetail with the Yisur of Gaiva, and some people feel that Gaiva is the exception. That Gaiva is so dangerous that it does evoke an Yisur, and I mentioned this in an earlier shira, the Rambam feels that Gaiva is so dangerous that, unlike all other traits, the Midah Benonit the middle-of-the-road approach to gaiva towards balancing just enough gaiva so that a person will lead a healthy lifestyle, that is too dangerous, and, and the Rambam endorses a more extremist strategy with regard, human, with regard to human ego and hoardiness. But in any event, um, so traits in general don't carry chatan, don't carry onshim, and they're really not even usser, they're just bad traits, and they're bad for moral welfare, and for human prosperity, for human experience. Um, those three that I mentioned a moment ago, Akin, Avatari, Vakavad, in particular, are very addictive, very poisonous, very dangerous. And we've seen examples of people who are just um, slaves to their lust, they're just hedonistic, or people that are just so overcome with envy and jealousy that they don't appreciate everything that Kodesh Baruch gave them. Or alternatively, people who are just so interested in public approval, we call them egomaniacs, or pompous, or megalomaniacs, that their lives become manic depressive. So, modern psychology has demonstrated the addictive and dangerous nature of those three traits, but the three of Yeshua are not as easily traceable, not as easily identifiable in their level of addiction or in their danger to human welfare. Certainly the middle one is the most obvious and the most familiar. One of Yeshua talks about Yetzer Hara. So, more or less, again, Yetzirah 
is oftentimes, oftentimes used in a general sense for evil inclination, whether it's an external force, some divinely ordained force meant to challenge human free will, challenge it by contesting it and, and confusing moral clarity, or just natural instincts, natural tendencies within the human being to make it difficult for us to live the type of life that Kodesh Baruch Hu's Torah demands and expects and summons. Either way, the Yitzhar is oftentimes employed in that phrase. Um, but when it's used in a specific sense, and here in the Mishnah, evidently it's used in a specific sense because it is sandwiched by Ayin Hara and by Sinas Abrios, which conceivably are are flaws in human behavior that are driven by the Yitzhara. So Yitzhara would be redundant if it meant the general evil inclination. So evidently this iteration of the Yitzhara refers to a more specific type of Yitzhara, which must we shown him interpret as Arayos or Taiva. It can either be sexual addiction, sexual lust, or um, other forms of physical, material pleasure. So that would be roughly, roughly parallel to the mission I mentioned earlier, the word taiva. Kinav ha taiva ha-kavot. So the Yitzhara would probably be likened to taiva. However, the first trait mentioned and the last trait mentioned are not easily associated with this conclusion of motzinus adam in olam. What exactly about ayin hara makes it so addictive, so dangerous that it consumes the human being himself? So the truth is, there are there's a famous dispute between the Rambam and the Rabbeinu Yonah as to what ayin hara actually means. The Gemara, in several locations, takes ayin hara in a very serious, very serious matter. Literally, a person is capable of issuing something which the rational mind has a hard time understanding, but is capable of issuing an evil eye in the literal sense of longing contemptuously and jealously after another person's well-being and, and material success and mystically impacting that other individual. So, for example, the Gemara in Baba Basra, a very well-known Gemara, people study Baba Basra, tend to come across this Gemara in the very beginning. You're not allowed to look at your friend's field while it's growing, and certainly not his vegetable patch, because you may come to uh, long after his agricultural success and wish him evil and <laughs> cause some of that evil. So it's an actual damage. It isn't collectible, but it's something which is forbidden, and at least building a wall is enforceable <laughs> in order to prevent that type of gazing. Not that Gemara Bab Nasir enough Lamed talks about the fact you're not if you if you find the beautiful garment of your friend and you're a Shomer, because everyone who finds a lost item becomes ipso facto automatically a Shomer, you have to maintain that garment, but you're not allowed to hang it out in public view. If every once in a while you want to hang out a garment so that it won't collect dust, it will become aerified, <coughs> aerated, but um, you're not allowed to because people may look at that garment and cause an ayin hara. And uh, finally, Gemara Brachos, which gives us a uh, a, a deterrent to Ayin Hara. A person feels that he may become the victim of Ayin Hara, so he should claim, I come from the children of Yosef, or upon whom Ayin Hara uh, has no sway. Yosef is compared to Dagim, Dagim multiply, Vid, Gularo, Vikarev, Haaretz, and the Dagim were not subject to Ayin Hara. As I mentioned earlier, the rational mind has a very hard time with this reality that a person can cause through evil eye, through evil gazing, to cause some material impact upon another. 
um, there have been some um, some modern attempts to try to, I guess, rationalize there may be some impact of an ayin hara because the Gemara Chazal take it very very seriously. Um, it could induce a psychological um, feeling. Person is aware of the ayin hara. Rav Shechter uh, from Yeshiva University once mentioned, one of my rabbis once mentioned that possibly when a person is longing after another individual's success, he feels victimized, he feels hurt. And that person's hurt may translate into some form of tefillah, either an overt spoken tefillah or a thought. And several psukim in the Torah itself talk about a Baruch Hu being particularly sensitive to broken-hearted people who may or may not at least feel victimized. Or Shechter would quote the Pasuk in Mishpatim, the Torah warns against mistreating Almanos and Yusomim orphans and widows, and the Torah says, Vashamati ki ani, I will, I will, or I'll be, I'll be angry, Vacharati bayamahu, person withholds collateral taken from a poor, um, credit, a, a poor debtor, and doesn't return it on time, and the person cries out to God when they're cold at night or hungry at night, Vashamati ki ani. So that's, um, one possible approach towards rationalizing Ayin Hara. Other approaches are pseudo-mystical, that there's some sort of inter- interface between personalities and the shamos and individuals, and when one person is angry at another, that inevitably causes some sort of transmission or communication between the two. But either way, Chazal took this very seriously. My own personal inclination is it doesn't have to be rationalized. There's a very, very active and meaningful mystical world. And we may not be part of that world anymore. That doesn't mean we diminish its validity. It's a world of Kabbalah. It's a world of mysticism. And some people choose to, to, to employ that world for religious service. And some people choose to invest all their energies and all their efforts, both in the rational and in the emotive spiritual world. And spiritual is, is also rational. It's not rational in the cerebral, but it's something that you can describe and, and be conscious of rather than a mystical world that's obscured from human experience. In any event, Chazal took this seriously. The Rambam was opposed to many aspects of mysticism. For example, a very famous description of the Rambam mentioning the absence of any shaitan. And here the Rambam doesn't tell us that he doesn't believe in Ayin Hara, but he rather interprets Ayin Hara as referring to just general interest in pursuit of money. The language of the Rambam, Ayin Hara ki lehitot lamamon, interest in chasing money. Now, how exactly that uh, takes a person out of this world? Again, it could be, it's avarice, it's greed, it can certainly be very addictive. But on a purely practical level, it could lead a person to take all sorts of risks and travel to places and become involved in money-making ventures that are very, very dangerous, in theory. But according to the Rambam, it doesn't refer to the classic ayin hara, the classic evil eye. The Yona argues with the Rambam. Then Yonah takes this literally, and he also notes the fact that this Mishnah mentions Ayin Hara, not Ayin Ra. So Ayin Hara would refer to a eye that is evil upon someone else. Ayin Ra, as she quotes the Mishnah I alluded to earlier, where the Lazar, the Yochanan ben Zakai Talmud, mentioned Ayin Ra in the language of female, in Nekeva. Ayin Ra. 
all bodily parts that come in zoos end with a grammatical makeva, grammatifier. So the natural way to describe ayin is har ayin ra'a, an evil female, not just the female, but the eye is treated as female, an evil eye interested only in monetary pursuits. But the Rabbeinu Yonah notes that at least in his version of this Mishnah, there are other versions, but in his version of Mishnah Yud Aleph in Parak Beis, the grammar is not ayin ra'a, but ayin hara. And ayin hara would not describe the eye, because then it would be female, but would describe the action of the eye. The eye that looks, that performs an action of looking and possibly thinking evil upon another individual, another person's success, another person's prosperity. So the Benyona takes this more literally, and he, as we would say, he buys into the whole notion, he talks about it in a very literal sense, that when you send out an Ayin Hara, in his language, again, it's hard to know what these words refer to, they may be metaphoric, but they clearly refer to some sort of mystical impact, Avir there is some sort of aura or or uh, wind or matter that the mind generates. This and it actually consumes or ruins the subject of that evil gazing. that the evil eye um, looks upon and ruins. And, the Yonah says, Gam kirbo yisareif. Not only is the object upon which the evil eye is being cast a victim, but the person who casts it himself is victimized. Achar shemit Even though you are the dispenser, it can also consume and become toxic to the dispenser itself, not just to the subject upon which it's being dispensed. So the Yonah interprets Ayin Hara much differently from the Rambam. And again, even according to the Rambam, Ayin Hara and Yetzirah are not that much different. Why should Yetzirah describe physical sexual lust and Ayin Hara describe monetary interest? But according to the Yonah, they're very different. Yetzirah describes material lust. Ayin Hara describes this process we know, which we say in, in the modern parlance of Ayin Hara. Ayin Hara. In fact, there's a Mishnah in Avaz Rebinasan, the Brisa, parallel elaboration of Mesechas Avos, clearly, clearly supports the Rebbeinu Yonah's interpretation of this Mishnah. The Mishnah in the 16th parak of Avos to Rebinatan, the Mishnah claims as follows. Rabbi Yeshua Omer Ayin Hara Yetzirah sinat abriot masinat adam min haolam. So it's uh, our Mishnah. And the Bryce, or the second part of the Mishnah, claims as follows. Ayin hara ketzad melameid shekeshem shadam roet beito shel atzmo kach yehei roet beito shel chavira. Clearly it's not an internal question of how interested in financial gain and greed a person is, but it's really whether you look favorably upon other people's material success in the same way that you look favorably upon your own success. The Misha actually talks about a different form of Ayin Hara, which neither the Rambam nor even the Rabbeinu Yonah talked about, where you're jealous and, um, what's the word, you're not just jealous, but you are saddened 
by other people's success in learning. You should also be very, very gracious, have an ayin tova towards other people's religious success. Some people are agitated or upset, and other people surpass them religiously. But the whole tone and the whole presentation of Avos Jivnasan is clearly similar to Ben Yonah and very different from the Rambam's approach to the approach that read in general. And Rabbi Yonah's interpretation of Ayin Hara is something that can actually be very devastating to the dispenser of this evening, not just to the recipient. The conclusion of the Mishnah describes Sinas Habrios. Now, Sinas Habrios probably refers to something other than its um, its parallel phrase, Sinas Chinam. Sinas Chinam probably refers to a person, hates another individual for no good reason, violating the Yisr of Lotisna Sachicha Bilvavecha, based on the various parameters of the Halachic Yisr, and there's some dispute as to when the Yisr applies, when it doesn't apply, how it applies. And even if a person hasn't violated the Yisr, general hatred is something which is seen as a, a bad trait. Here the phrase Sinas Habrios seems to generalize the subject of a person's hate. It probably refers to, I mean, Rashi in his parish on the Mishnah, does literally write Sinas China. But um, the, the Rambam, and I think this is really the, the, the more likely interpretation, talks about someone who hates mankind, which we would say as misanthropy, a person who dislikes people in general, rather than becoming a lover of people. And again, in this instance, Avaz Rivnasan as well supports that view. Ironically, this time it supports the view of the Rambam. In the end of the 16th chapter in Avaz Rivnasan, Sinas Abriyos Ketzad, I like people that are religiously leaders, but I dislike those who aren't yet leaders, or I like the Talmidim, and I dislike, um, I dislike those who are ignorant, Amiaris. Ella, Ehov, Eskulam. You should love everyone. With rare exceptions, as the mission say, there's some people, in this case, Apikorsim, that there's a mitzvah to hate, and Rabbi talks about Rishayim. But the Mishnah, our Mishnah, seems to be warning, not against sinas chinam in the localized sense, but against general misanthropy. People are cynical and, and hateful and baleful to other individuals. They don't like living with them. They don't like sharing the resources with them. Um, the Rambam has uh, a very interesting phraseology. Goreim li adam letaev re'iat mino sanoto. According to the Rambam, the first two, to a degree, caused the last one. Ayin hara, which is greed. Hara and lust will ultimately cause sinat So According to the Rambam, these three are not just incidentally listed by Rabbi Yoshua, but they seem to be part of a process. And will lead that person to bedidut, lead that person to live in in isolation, solitary, over shchinat to live in the desert, because he can't stand people, because those people stand in the way of his uh, financial greed, stand in the way of his uh, endless, insatiable desire, Yitzhara, and literally, not right? this isn't a penalty, it's a result, but it isn't a psychological result, as I mentioned earlier, the literal result, that person will end up leaving society, leaving normal terrain of mankind, leaving civilization, and living in the desert. So the Ramam has a very interesting, almost um, pathology, where one leads to the other, and ultimately the person is removed from civilization, removed from society, but 
Beyond the Rambam's specific example, the danger of sinat habriot, of hating other individuals, and again, briot is a very, very large definition. It's not just Jews, not just learned Jews, but all Jews, and not just Jews, but anyone, human beings. And sometimes, sometimes we're not careful about this, especially given the types of challenges that our people have faced over the last century, the Holocaust, the current situation in Eretz Yisrael, international discrimination, international anti-Semitism. Sometimes it leads us to a very dismissive attitude towards human beings in general, and sometimes even a hatred of the other. And this is something that has to be very, very carefully monitored and rectified, certainly not the way of Chazal, certainly not the way of even Rabbi Akiva. The Kiva says, Chaviv Adam, Shanivra B'Tselem, every human being has a Tselem Elohim, Chaviv Yisrael, Shanivra B'Tselem. You have to find a very delicate balance between recognition and celebration, embracing our unique national legacy and destiny, but not at the expense of ignoring, or in some cases belittling, people who are not born Jews, or not meant to be Jews, but are still meant to live meaningful, religious, and moral, upstanding lives, and from our own standpoint, to be just lovers of mankind. And even if you don't express your sinas chinam in the halachic sense, it's not a seething hatred, but sometimes you don't hate any one particular individual, but you fall into a situation where you just hate people in general, some people, and that could be what this Mishnah is warning against, and that could lead to a type of attitude that causes insular um, um, insularity and reclusiveness, and the Rambam's extreme actual withdrawal from society. We see it more often in social withdrawal, emotional withdrawal, people that just don't have the skills, the life skills, to live with other people, to be enriched by other people's lives, and in turn to try to enrich their lives. So these are the three phrases which should be Yeshua ben Hananya iterated. Ayin hara, yetzer hara, v'sinas habrios, motzi nesadam min haolam.